Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. We believe in the American way. And we built this country called the USA. And we fly our flag because we're proud and free. We're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. We never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the right. We're Americans. Make up America. It's amazing America. Oh, yeah. Welcome to our Convention of States podcast, That Provident Article. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the United States Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States project. My name is Paul Hodson. I am the co-director here in the great state of Texas. Each week we meet to educate ourselves on Article 5 to promote the Convention of States project and its use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. For more information regarding the Convention of States project, I invite you to visit www.conventionofstates.com later in the show if opportunity allows our call-in number is 914-205-5632 further contact information is available at blogtalkradio.com for that provident article we want to thank madison rising america's most patriotic rock band endorsers of the convention of state project for the use of all the music here on our episodes of that provident article. Please visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. In a quick review as we begin our show, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution is available there in full on blogtalkradio.com on our site. We particularly look at that phrase, Convention for Proposing Amendments, as initiated by the applications of two-thirds of the state's legislatures. And we want to point out the subject matter of our application at the Convention of States Three points, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. And good morning, fellow liberty-loving patriots, our warriors out there. I refer to us as warriors, as that's a name which was given to our group by our primary sponsor, Representative Rick Miller here in Texas. We're all warriors out there across our nation for the Convention of States Project, I welcome you to welcome you to our podcast, that provident article. My name is Paul Hodson. We're going to cover news from around the, the nation. Some more great news this week for the Convention of States here, March fifth, two thousand sixteen. The Indiana House passed by a vote of sixty one to thirty six, and Indiana became the sixth state to approve the Convention of States application. So, congratulations to all the members of the Indiana Convention of States team. Terrific, terrific work they did out there. That vote came late Monday evening, around 6 o'clock Central Time, I know. Uh, I was able to actually log in and watch and listen to the end of that, end of that floor discussion. 
and to see the actual vote, first time I've seen a vote on a bill which was the final decision in the state and actually the, the passing application. I've been busy during the other times, and that was exciting. And we heard a, a, a whoop from the gallery, which, of course, is not something that you're supposed to do uh, when you're in, in session. Um, I know here in Texas we did the same thing when we passed in our house, uh, and we were reprimanded by the sergeant-at-arms, but it is understandable with all the hard work that those patriots in Indiana have gone through their their reaction, and we salute them. And it's on now to find out who's going to be state number seven, and perhaps it's going to be Utah. The Utah House passed the Convention of States resolution by 41 to 32, and it's on to the Senate there in the House. We have some great patriots and some great legislators over in Utah, and be in prayer again for all these states which are are coming up. Uh, we know that Virginia has a significant. Uh, committee hearing this coming week. I believe it will be Monday on the on March 7th. Uh, hold them up in prayer. We've, we've uh, come close two years in a row in Virginia. We're hoping third time is the charm, but uh, we want more than hopes. Ask you to pray. Those of you, especially in Virginia, contact your senators and go, go specifically to the Convention of States Action Virginia page and see what specifically you need to do and who you need to contact regarding that vote out of that committee in the Virginia Senate. Uh, a quick reminder of where we're at now, the current status, we are passed in full in six states uh, in the last three years, two already this year, Tennessee and now Indiana. We have passed in nine committees, or committees in nine states in 2016. We've passed in at least one chamber in seven states this year. 28 states have either pre-filed, filed, or have carried over our application, G28 plus 6 equals 34. So if we ran the table, we would be right at that threshold of two-thirds. We have some states waiting in the wings, which may or may not file this year. Um, and, of course, we have some, some states which, even though they've filed, uh, have already been defeated. So we don't anticipate getting to 34 this year, but we do anticipate getting our number up significantly in the coming weeks and months. Again, be in great prayer about that. We want to remind you to catch up on any of your Convention of States news. Go to the conventionofstates.com news blog. That site, www.conventionofstates.com backslash news blog. And you can go to your individual state sites, cosaction.com backslash, and then just your state name, Texas, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, New York, Indiana, Virginia, or if you don't remember, uh, if you just go to cosaction.com and pull that up, it actually has a, a pull-down menu, and, and it shows all the flags on the page of, of which which state you wish to select. You can select any of the 50 states from there and see what's going on in those states in the Convention of States. Okay, on to our presentation portion of the, the episode today. The Texas plan, and this is section two, the president. We've covered Congress before, and we're going to do a review here in a moment. January 8th, Texas Governor Greg Abbott unveiled his Texas plan at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the 2016 policy orientation, and it was his keynote closing address. And on slide one, if you're following along on the slides, you see a link to the video of the entire speech he gave, and you see a link to his document, Restoring the Rule of Law with States Leading the Way. 
So a quick review of what we've already covered, an overview of his plan, it addresses all three branches of the federal government and also the states. It describes the key problems in each branch and the states, Congress, executive, where we're going to be today, judiciary, and then the states. It prescribes constitutional solutions for each problem, and it describes and defends the Article 5 state-initiated amending process. Quick review of the Congress section, which we covered a few weeks ago, and we've, we've gone off on a couple of tangents for several reasons, but we're back to the Texas plan. In Congress, the problem was identified that Congress is broken, and how is it, bro is it broken? Overstepping their power, and they are exercising unenumerated powers. Of course, Congress to be constrained, as, as all branches, by their enumerated powers, those which are explicitly granted or given in the Constitution. The constitutional solution... First one, by dealing with the Commerce Clause, the Texas plan would prohibit the federal government from regulating any activity that is confined within a single state. And the second one we discussed, the constitutional solution of the Spending Clause. A lot of people refer to that as the General Welfare Clause. The Texas plan would require Congress to balance its budget. So we're going to move on to the section called the President in uh, Governor Abbott's document. A quick note, by that, he's really not, it's really about the office of the president. It's not about any specific president. And the plan makes that clear in the very first sentence of the section in which it states, one thing that has united presidential administrations of all varieties and stripes is their unwavering and bipartisan faith in the so-called, quote, administrative state, unquote. So the problem identified right there in the first sentence is the administrative state. And what is that? Well, it's all of the bureaucratic agencies, the EPA, the FHA, the HUD, IRS, FAA, etc. ad nauseum. These agencies make the majority of federal law, and this was not the intent of the founders. The idea of the separation of powers was to separate the authority to make law, legislate, from the authority to execute the law, the executive or the president. Next slide, slide number five already, under the president. The framers largely succeeded in restraining the president, but the administrative state is where the abuse of executive authority has taken hold. There's a quote, administrative agencies routinely and powerfully combine executive, legislative, and judicial power, unquote. So understand that. We're talking in separation of powers, three different branches or departments of government, you had your legislative branch, your executive branch, and your judicial branch. And what has effectively occurred in this fourth branch or department of government, the administrative state, is a combination of those. And this is by design. We'll cover that in, in some of the history a few slides from now. This is, what, this is actually the plan and how, how folks want to make the Constitution malleable and workable in our current day and age to, to solve problems. If you could just consolidate all those powers into one agency, you can take care of a lot of uh, all the hassle of going through all the problems of, of separation of powers and the checks and balances and nothing gets done. Uh, well, if you have an administrative agency, you can get all kinds of things done because they have all three of the, of the powers wrapped into one, one agency, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial power. An example, here's a great example from the EPA. It writes its own rules, it legislates, it enforces violations of those rules, that's the law execution, and it adjudicates defendants' liabilities. 
So that's law interpretation and law enforcement. All three branches, the areas of separation of powers, demonstrated there with the, with the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. The framers rejected the proposal of an executive council. When, when discussing the presidency and the executive, there was great discussion during the Constitutional Convention as to whether that should be a single person or a council. Uh, I think there was discussion about having three people involved. But they eventually rejected that proposal rather than a president because members members in a council, they could easily hide their inattention and their negligence. You know, when you have a group of people, it's easy to hide behind something else or to say or state we we didn't know what the other what the other person was doing. We didn't know what the right hand right the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. And this is now precisely what the administrative state has become. It's a place for all that activity, all that lawlessness, because it's not constitutional to hide, and it also gives great cover for Congress and even for the president and for the judiciary, as we will see. So continued on the slide six, there are no, there are no term limits on administrative bureaucrats. You, you can't vote them out. You can't uh, watch them, uh, have them just term limited out because their term of office expires and they never stand for elections. So no elections, no term limits, lifetime appointments or jobs. They're, they're just typically, that's its job. You can, you can apply for a job in the administrative state and you get a job as a bureaucrat and you can be there for life. You can work your way up the ranks and sometimes get great power. And the courts, which originally served to check and balance the expansion and abuse of the administrative state, they now act as, as though they are bound to defer to the administrative state. So what's the solution? Governor Abbott's solution in his Texas plan. Non-delegation. We're going to talk a little bit about this concept, the idea of non-delegation. First of all, a quote on what the Texas plan would do. The Texas plan would prevent administrative agencies and the unelected bureaucrats that staff them from creating federal law. That's unquote. So for the first 140 years of the republic, and we're going to get into the history, the courts exercised the non-delegation doctrine. On to slide number seven. What is that, the non-delegation doctrine? Well, in 1892, the Supreme Court, in a ruling, here's a quote from that, that ruling, that Congress cannot delegate legislative power to the president is a principle universally recognized as vital to the integrity and maintenance of the system of government ordained by the Constitution. So in this particular case, they're dealing with Congress and the president or the executive branch, so two of the three branches. So in other words, one department or branch of government cannot, by definition, delegate its authority or responsibility to another branch. And so in this case, they were stating, the, the Supreme Court was stating, look, Congress cannot, even if they write it in the law, they cannot delegate that authority over to the president. In the executive branch, the Constitution prohibits that. That's what separation of powers is about. So they held that in 1892, and the corollary to that is, nor can one branch assume upon itself the authority or responsibility explicitly granted to another branch. Well, just as in the issue with the Congress, when we, we dealt with that in the, for the first part of the Texas plan, here in the executive branch and the presidency, it was the FDR Supreme Court where the erosion of the non-delegation doctrine began in earnest. For example, in 1933, 
the National Industrial Recovery Act, React, Recovery Act granted the president the authority to write fair competition codes. In other words, laws. So what's a fair competition law? Well, it's whatever the president decides it is because he now has that authority. And of course, that's one of those things now where you're crossing over the boundaries of delegation, one branch to the other, and the branch that's supposed to be accountable for that, Congress, is no longer accountable. It was once again the political threat, we moved to slide eight, the political threat to pack the court to which the Supreme Court succumbed. And this, this has led to the erosion of the non-delegation doctrine. We're going to speak now about a man who was critical and integral in bringing about this view of the Constitution. His name is James Landis. He was a member at the time back in the 30s of the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and most importantly, dean of Harvard Law School, so a, a a well-known and a well-respected legal mind and lawyer. Well, he admitted that administrative agencies like the FTC and the SEC were unconstitutional. Let that sink in. He admitted that those agencies and the way they acted were unconstitutional, but his argument was that the problem wasn't with the existence of those agencies. The problem was the Constitution. Slide nine. Here's a quote from James Landis. In terms of political theory, the administrative process springs from the inadequacy of a simply tri, 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 tripartite form of government to deal with modern problems. I stumbled over that word tripartite. That's obviously three branches of government, the tripartite form. So political theory is that it's inadequate now to deal with modern problems, that the three branches of government, it's inadequate. And he urged everyone, including the Supreme Court, to ignore the Constitution when it was inconvenient or impractical for the problems of the day. Well, by logical extension, to govern based on what is convenient and practical produces governance based on the rule of man, not the rule of law. Law, of course, is unchanging regardless of circumstances. That is exactly the point. Again, if you have a chance to listen or re-listen to Governor Abbott's speech, he speaks over and over about the caprice of men, meaning that that is their will and their intention. They want to rule the rule of man, whatever their whims or fancies are, and ignoring the rule of law. So the non-delegation doctrine has been abandoned. Slide 10, as we continue with the solution of non-delegation. Here's a great example. The Clean Air Act of 1970. Well, who doesn't want clean air? First of all, you just name something, a law, the Clean Air Act. Sounds great. So Congress passes this Clean Air Act, and this law charged the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, with creating, quote, standards of performance, unquote, for power plants. But the law does not direct what those standards of performance should be, nor does it describe how those standards of performance will actually clean the air. Well, who gets to describe what, what those are and how they work? Those tasks fall to the unelected officials and employees of the EPA. And the result? Now, here in 2016, we have a 1,600-page, quote, clean power plan, unquote. And this is defined as a code. In other words, it's a law written by unelected bureaucrats. No legislator 
has ever voted for or against this law. And that's actually not true because we're going we're gonna to look. They did vote against it. This particular one, they typically don't. They actually stood up and decided to vote on it after it had been placed into law. And they rejected it. Our Congress stood up and pressure from the grassroots. They rejected it. They, they voted against it. Now, the irony, the president vetoed their rejection. Thus, it reinstated the code from the EPA, which had been written by unelected administrative agents. Again, remember that concept of non-delegation, the idea the framers had, especially for the executive branch, for it to be one person so that that person executing the law could not hide behind other people on a council. Well, now we've got the administrative agencies, which allow everyone to hide because they execute everybody's powers. So the EPA, uh, the president vetoed, and the EPA's rule remains law, even though that law was rejected by the Congress. Talk about turning things on their head. So the solution from the Texas plan, and this is going to be as far as we go today because there's a, a second solution as well that we will cover next week. The Texas plan would require congressional approval of an administrative agency's rule for that law to have a binding legal force upon a state, corporation, or individual. So you're going to have to be have approval from Congress to have a binding legal force upon a state, corporation, or individual. Congress now has to make tough public choices on the record. So when you do that, when you write an amendment which states that you have to get congressional approval, well, now that whole idea of hiding behind an agency, of, of not being able to find out who is really responsible or accountable for this, and now Congress becomes accountable, as they are supposed to in the Constitution. Today, not being followed, that's why you put an amendment to add that specific constraint. Look, you've eroded this constraint. We're going to spell it out for you now. This is what you have to do. Congress has to make tough public choices on the record. The voters obviously get to see what they're doing. And when that occurs, the second point, the second effect that has is Congress is now motivated to think before they act to create an administrative agency or to give one open-ended authority. So not only is it on the back end when an agency has actually created a rule that it has to be acted on, now this, this constraint works on the front end with congressmen, with your representatives, your senators. They're going to be thinking twice and thinking carefully and cautiously before they go ahead and create an agency. And in fact, the hope would be at least for quite a while that they wouldn't go ahead and create an agency and give them basically carte blanche, unlimited authority to make law, to execute the law, and to adjudicate, uh, to actually prosecute those who are in violation of their laws. And finally, we go again to the attribution. Obviously, just the, uh, the document restoring the rule of law with states leading the way from Governor Greg Abbott. Some great information there. I really skim over a lot of the historical background, which Governor Abbott and his team have put into this document. Um, just some terrific research in there giving great context because the governor and his team have gone about explaining not just what's wrong. It's easy to see what's wrong and sometimes, and, but in order to provide a solution, you have to go through the steps of finding out how did we get here? Where was the breakdown? Uh, it's kind of like the analysis. If you've seen his speech or heard his speech and he talks about 
the foundation being uh, destroyed rather than just the walls. He gives that analogy. Rather than just fixing the walls, you've got to fix the foundation. That's what, if, if you bring out a contractor who's going to do that work and work on your foundation, they've got, that's the determination they would make. Your walls aren't the problem. We found the root cause. The, the cause is your foundation. That's exactly what the governor and his team have done. They, they research, how did we get here? What's the root cause? And the root cause is this abdication of the non-delegation uh, concept in the Constitution. Again, beginning when the courts started to cave in to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's threat to pack the court and to start agreeing that Congress could abdicate its authority or delegate its authority to the executive branch, to an administrative agency, or to turn the other way when the president would go ahead and have the ability to write codes. And on and on it's gone uh, now for decades and decades. And we're at a point now, of course, with our generations who have come up since the 1930s, um, that's all we've lived under. And that's all we've known. And that's how many people believe the nation is supposed to run. And they wonder why things are coming apart. Well, we're no longer living under the rule of law. And that's the whole idea with the Convention of States Project. We are here to educate and inform and to encourage our legislators to rein in the federal government. Our state legislators have the authority under the Constitution to do so. We believe they have the duty to act, and we're asking them to act. And around the nation, that is occurring. We're seeing just some great, great things occurring around the, the states. Lots of activity still going on. Let's go ahead and go to the phone lines. We have a couple of minutes. Reminder, our phone call, our phone line, 914-205-5632. That's 914-205-5632. Pretty much any topic along the lines of Article 5 or the Convention of States is fair game. Or if you want to talk in particular about the Texas plan from Governor Abbott, our ground rules are to speak respectfully, no foul language, no derogatory or defamatory remarks, no shouting or yelling. We're going to keep to the subject of Article 5 in the Convention of States. I know that it's high political time and campaigns, but we're really not going to be discussing presidential campaigns or candidates to any degree unless you want to discuss them in terms of Article 5. And we want to encourage dialogue. We want to pause and listen to each other. So, again, 914-205-5632. Okay, we're live for phone calls at the moment, and we only have a few minutes left. If you have any questions, any discussion, any comments, I uh, would sure love to hear from you, 914-205-5632. Next week, we will continue unless something changes on the ground, and you never know. With Convention of States, things can change on the ground. We'd wish to continue with the Texas plan going on through the rest of the executive branch, the president, as the section is called in Governor Abbott's plan, his document. I, I encourage you, if you've not had a chance to read the governor's plan, take take some time and go through that. There's some great information in there, some terrific research the team has done. And also, if you have time, take the opportunity to listen to the speech that he gave on January 8th at the Te Texas Public Policy Foundation. That speech uh, was fantastic. It was, I've listened to it several times, and after knowing what was going to occur, you can hear the hesitation and applause early on as they aren't quite sure where the governor is going as he's laying out all the problems that are, that are going on with the federal government. 
But when he gets to the point, and it's almost 15 minutes into the speech that's on YouTube, when he gets to the point where he calls for a convention of the states, the audience explodes, and uh, I've played the the long version on uh, on some of my presentations because I like I like people to see the 25 second standing ovation that Governor Abbott got from the Texas Public Policy Foundation and from legislators who were there to hear that. Just the uh, fantastic enthusiasm that that generated amongst that audience. So no phone calls today. We're going to go and uh, close this out again with our friends Madison Rising and the Star Spangled Banner. And thank you once again for listening to that Provident article. We appreciate your listening. My name is Paul Hodson. I'm the co-director here in Texas, the Convention of States Project. We want to thank Madison Rising for all the music that they provide here, our intro and outro. Go out to their website, www.madisonrising.com. We invite you also to go out to our Convention of States website, www.conventionofstates.com. We want to thank the Convention of States Project, Mark Meckler, founder and president, Citizens for Self-Governance, Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project, and a big, big thank you to our entire Texas Convention of States team. And we invite you to join us again next week for another episode of That Provident Article. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.